Even though you would sometimes disagree with him, he would listen. There are things that we can be doing right now to have open dialogue, to get public input, and to be able to make solid decisions for the state of Alaska. You know, politics, Mr. President, in my estimation, is a character test. Welcome to the Empty Office podcast, which is a production of the office of Senator Lukey Gale Tobin. I'm Mike Mason. Senator Tobin, how are things today? I am tired today, Mike. We are being joined today by the superintendent of the Haynesboro School District. Roy Getchell is the president-elect of the Alaska Superintendent Association and was one of the people who spoke today to the Senate Finance Committee in favor of Senate Bill 52 to increase the base student allocation in Alaska. Roy, how are you doing today? I am doing really well. I'm tired as well, but I but I feel good. It's it's a good kind of energy, and I was just really privileged to be invited to be a part of this today. So thank you for the invitation. So let's talk about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, today uh, was the uh, kind of the hearing in Senate Finance, mm-hmm. the uh, kind of intimidating Senate Finance Committee for the uh, the bill that uh, Senator Tobin and I have been working on, uh, Senate Bill Fifty Two, to increase the base student allocation. And uh, when we were kind of thinking of the people we wanted to advocate for this bill, Roy's name was one that came up immediately based on some conversations that we'd had and some of the feedback that uh, we had gone to, I think it was the Alaska Council of School Administrators Conference where you spoke uh, or asked some questions. So uh, thank you so much for agreeing to participate today. It was really a thank you. I'm always happy to advocate for students. You know, I feel like that's my most important duty. It's my calling. So I'm, I'm happy to do that. And I think it's important that I do that. So thank you for giving me the platform to, to be here. So Senator Tobin, first of all, uh, how did you think it went today in, in the Senate Finance Committee? I thought we had a really impactful, concise, informative message. I will admit that I was working on my talking points till late in the evening, hence why I am a little tired now. It is difficult to think about all of the different pieces of feedback, constructive criticism, and also counterpoints that we have heard over the last few months. And how do you anticipate and also address those issues on the record in a way that is going to move the hearts and the minds of those who may be doubtful or have reservations about significantly increasing school funding? I thought we did a good job of addressing concerns, of answering questions, and of making an emphatic plea about the education crisis our communities are currently experiencing. So uh, Roy was one of the invited testifiers and uh, put together a PowerPoint presentation, and uh, we went through that earlier today. And I thought you did a great job of kind of telling us how this current issue about the lack of, of adequate funding for education is impacting your school district that you work for. Can you give us the kind of the 50,000 foot viewpoint of how this bill interacts with your day-to-day school district? To me, like I, like I testified today, the most important thing that I do is hire quality people. And whether they are paraprofessionals or whether they work in the cafeteria, or whether they're classroom teachers. And right now we're in hiring season, and there we've, we've had a significant amount of turnover this year. It's not normal for us in Haines, but I think you know, there's some post-COVID 
um, reasons for this. And quite frankly, we haven't kept up with wages as we should. So when, whenever I'm interviewing, my job is to bring the best people to my students that I can. I think that's the most important thing that I do, and I've got to become more competitive. We have to become more competitive as a community. We have to become more competitive as a state. So I think that that is something that really touches me, you know, the most because um, that will impact student achievement, student learning, consistency, reliability of education, those kinds of things, and having people that come to Haynes, stay in Haynes, build a life in Haynes, and educate in Haynes. So that's, I think, the most important thing. So before I go back to kind of the education funding issue, I want to talk about kind of the building and the room that we were in. The Senate Finance Committee room uh, is a, a little bit intimidating. It's kind of a... A little bit? It's Okay, <laughs> yes. I was going to say, it's it can be intimidating. Um, and were you, I mean, talk about that, Senator Tobin. You've been up there before with the Alaska Reads Act and other pieces of legislation. It, it can be a, a, you know, a room where you walk in and you're like, oh, I hope I don't mess anything up. I will share a story that I think will illuminate how intimidating the Senate Finance Committee room can be. Early on, I had the privilege of carrying the Alaska Reads Act for Senator Begich. And in the previous committees where we had provided an introduction and a sectional analysis and answered questions of committee members, I had my normal demeanor, which is sometimes a little jovial. Uh, I like to make little quips, and I do enjoy when people give me that nonverbal feedback or the cues that I know that I am resonating with them in that moment. In the Senate finance, I had a similar approach to my very first committee hearing, which was in January of 2019, excuse me, 2020. And I remember making a side comment out of out of just sort of a, a thing someone had said and it fell like a ton of bricks there was no there was no one that made a little quibble there was no chuckle there was no tentative smile from a mouth I looked across the table and it was just dire sour faces and I thought oh goodness what have I gotten myself into and after the sexual analysis and the questions I went back to the very hard wooden pews that the audience sit in in that room. And Senator Begich leaned in over to me and he says, you don't make jokes in Senate finance. And I thought, oh gosh, this place has all the joy sucked out of it. That's not true. Now that I work with these uh, other fellow senators, they're my colleagues, they are very warm and friendly people. It just happens to be that that room has this gravitas to it. It is where people come to make the passion pleas about why their bill and the fiscal note attached is so critical for Alaskans. It has a sense of poise that is tangible when you walk into the room. The high ceilings, the large paintings, the very formal table. It is the only committee, along with House Finance, that has its own staff. There is staff that go with that room and not with a legislator. It is very imposing, and it is very scary to sit there at the dais and tell your story. I was so impressed with the kids today telling their stories in that room and being able to do so under what feels like an oppressive regime of unfunness. 
kind of serious people doing serious business. Very serious. Sometimes a little too serious, perhaps. Perhaps, uh, maybe. So Roy uh, sat on those hard benches from I the did. very start to the very end. You were the only one. Everybody else got up and moved around. Everybody else had to go somewhere. I had to go do some stuff for a little while. You sat there and listened to every single solitary moment. How did it go? From your, from your perspective, how did this hearing in that room go for you today? It, it went really well. And I always love hearing people's opinions. You know, I come in with a nonpartisan view, but what I come in with is a passion for children and for students. And this is something that's important to me. So this bill, that's why it's so critical for me to help get this across the finish line, because we need to, we need to improve a lot of things and this will help us do that. But I was just thrilled that as an Alaskan that I get to participate and be that close to um, such an important decision and in such an important room. I think, you know, as somebody who's from out of state, I, I, I recognize things that are special about Alaska that sometimes folks take for granted. And I think that this is one of those. And that is being close to your government, close to people that make hard decisions, close to people that ask hard questions as they should. And I was ready to answer whatever they were going to ask because I, I knew that it was coming. But, um, you know, from my perspective, it's always good just to hear the opinions, to present a case to to um, make that case and then to watch the process unfold and I think it unfolded really well today so I was I was really pleased so uh, the bill that is uh, that we were talking about today is Senate Bill 52 which is a, a bill to increase kind of the base student allocation in the state of Alaska it does a couple of other things as well which uh, Senator Tobin included in her presentation but at its core this is this is a funding bill to basically increase what we are going to uh, provide to school districts the testimony was overwhelming the almost every data point seems to show that it has to happen doesn't it right roy it's critical critical i mean we are, we are at a watershed moment i think that's 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 one that we're going to look back and say did we do enough and in time? And it's critical because the the national teacher shortage is occurring. It's going on all over the country. I think that we're more heavily impacted because tr Alaska has traditionally relied on more teachers coming from out of state than, than other states do. You know, for example, in Missouri, where we're from, a lot of teachers are educated at those universities that are right there in their area. They stay in their area. We've got great schools of education here, but traditionally they're, they don't have a lot of students. And so our ability to produce enough teachers for our own state is, uh, is low right now, and that, that needs to increase. So we have to compete with Washington, with Oregon, with um, Missouri, with Colorado, with Oklahoma. It doesn't matter. Anybody who has a degree that's high quality, we hope they'll want to consider coming to Alaska. And right now it's a tough sell. Just to interject, Roy mentioned, uh, so we found out that you and I are were uh, grew up like 10 or 15 miles apart. We did. Back home in Missouri. The same uh, time. Uh, you're uh, <laughs> class of 87. I, I think I'm, I'm class of 88. Yes. So we did not know each other. No. Nope. But it is a small world, isn't it? Yeah. It is a very small world. And it's one of the things I love about Alaska. There are many transplants here, my spouse included, and my father. And I love hearing stories about folks who came up for a halibut charter or a herring tender or potentially to go do some tourism activities in Denali. 
and just didn't leave. Mm-hmm. They decided that this was the place that they felt a real connection to or something in the community resonated. Or, as I like to say with my spouse, something or someone hooked them to sticking around in perpetuity or indefinitely. That is the beauty of our state, the collective diversity, the uh, different worldviews that we bring into the dialogue. And we have high-quality educators who are able to take all that diversity, all those different ways of knowing, and bring it into these very tangible, concrete moments with their kiddos and really create a space where they can explore the world around them and really have an opportunity to think about how they will contribute in the future. That's what's at stake here. By not ensuring that our educators are paid a very fair and very comparable wage to the level of education, attainment, and experience they have gleaned over the years of their service to the community, we are, in fact, cutting off the potential of our kids. And that really does not settle well with me. I don't think it settles well with many Alaskans, as we heard today. And now we have an opportunity to make a significant change in the way education is currently being projected to happen in our state by infusing significant resources so that our schools can not only do what they're doing now, but maybe do some new cool things that we have not thought of yet. I am hopeful that some young person figures out the bacteria that is needed to eat plastic so we don't have it completely taking over all of our public spaces as our landfills grow exponentially. Or some young person finds how we're going to talk to the next extraterrestrial in the sky with some cool new communication technique. That can happen here in Alaska if we just invest in it. So I want to go back to uh, Roy's uh, presentation earlier today Mm -hmm. because I thought uh, one of the most moving things was your origin story where Mm -hmm. you were talking about how you Mm -hmm. initially came up to the state of Alaska. Uh, Tell me about that because you left – Monette, Missouri, yeah, and flew up to Alaska looking for a job. That's right. I was getting married. I needed a job, and and I'm enough of a dreamer, probably really naive, to think that that I could do it. You know, I saved my money. I was delivering pizza, working, managing a fast food restaurant, building a life. You know, for my new family, and we were so excited to do that. And I wanted it to be here, and things work out for a reason, don't they? But I, I came up and was disappointed. There were 54 districts. I put my resume, my packet, everything in 54 different piles, talked to 54 different HR groups, and I did not get a single interview. And truthfully, I don't blame them. I mean, there was close to 3,000 people there. I'm new. There's really, there really wasn't anything special about me to, to stand out or a reason to hire me. You know, if I were to come back today, I'd put out 54 packets, I'd probably have 54 job offers. It's changed that much. And, and that's the canary in the mind to me. The thing that is, that is just so concerning is that I, I know where Alaska was. And I don't want to go backwards. That's not what I'm saying. But I think our future needs to look a lot more like that, where this is a place that people want to come. We have the best brand probably in the world of any state. When you mention Alaska to somebody that's outside the country, they, their, their interest is piqued. They see us, you know, obviously we're, we're America. They're excited to hear about that and learn about that. But Alaska brings something special with it. And so I think there are opportunities that we could capitalize on and things that we can do to, 
make things even better. But I got here as quick as I could. It took 30 years, but I, I didn't give up on the dream, Mike. So last week, Senator Tobin and I had a, a really fascinating discussion with Diane Hirschberg, the head of uh, ICER, the Institute of Social and Economic Research. And uh, one aspect of our conversation touched on it was Finland, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and about how they, uh, they, they kind of deal with uh, public education. Roy mm-hmm. spent some time in the United Arab Emirates. Yeah. Is that Five right? years. How, Five years. How did they treat public education uh, there? Priority one. I mean, it is when you look at a country that that was the poorest on the planet in 1972, and they're really moving quickly at breakneck speed as far as their economy and planning for their future and their priorities. Um, I I would say that education is probably, at, at the time at least, and I assume that that's the case, was their number one priority. Because to be on the world stage and to improve things for their future, they needed to improve their educational outcomes. So I had the privilege of, of directing the, um, one of the campuses of the National Private School. So I worked for the royal family there, and they wanted the American model, diplo- the model American diploma. We also implemented International Baccalaureate, which I had done in Colorado Springs with my staff, and that's been really, really cool. But um, it's, it's priority one for them because they see that as their future. They're trying to plan for 20, 30, 40 years out, and that's one of their pathways forward. Senator Tobin, you've spent quite a bit of time overseas. How has that time and those experiences informed kind of your work today? Well, I had a very different experience because I served in a developing country in a space that had been occupied by Soviet Russia, and the country was trying to figure out what came next. There is no doubt in my mind that their top priority was their children, They knew that to be competitive, to ensure the future of their democracy, they had to educate their students and they needed them to be able to engage in the international business world. So for them, English and learning Western ways was paramount. That does not mean that they sacrificed their Muslim background or their heritage or their cultural practices. It just meant they put a top priority in their young people being as successful as possible within a Western way of knowing. Now, one of the pieces that really stuck out to me was in the country I served in, there was a very adamant focus that children's responsibility was to absorb information and regurgitate it. And it was juxtaposed with my experience growing up in Nome, where the top priority of this educators and the teachers around me was to learn how to take in information, synthesize it, combine it with what I know about the world, and then come out with an original thought or to come out with something that was unique and creative to express who I was by knowing what was around me and what had come before me. That was very different than what I was experiencing in the host country I was living in And it made me realize that I love the American model of education, the elasticity of it, the flexibility of it, and the reality that the world today is not the world that we will be living in tomorrow. So my responsibility is to put my own stamp on it, to understand how I can contribute to it. I love that about our country. I do too. And, you know, it it gives me a lot of confidence because I went – 
with a with a preset view on a lot of things. One of those was our own educational system. You know what? You hear it over and over again about how far behind we are and so forth. Not perfect, but I wouldn't trade the American system for any on the planet because of the opportunities that it creates for our children, for our students. And they had a blank checkbook to say, what is it that we want? It was the American model that they chose. So, you know, our, our own version of democracy, what an amazing thing when you think about that and look at that. But another American thing that is so important and so impressive is the education system, and those really go hand in hand, don't they? So I, I came back with a whole new appreciation of our system, of the, the work that our teachers do, of the ability of our students, and of the importance of self-determination, of being able to go through and become who you're going to be and, and, and do what you want to do. And I think that that's one reason, you know, you, you, you were talking about Finland and so forth. The, the high-performing systems in the world, that's what they want. They want critical thinkers. They want Nobel Prize winners. You know, the, the, the places that, have, that outscore us on some of the exams that we're compared to, China, for example, I don't know that they've ever had a Nobel tr- Prize winner. I'd, I'd have to go back and look. So I think that rather than focus completely on, on, on results that um, are artificial sometimes, like test scores or whatever, how, what are the outcomes? How are, how are things working? And you know, the U.S. does really well. And that's one of the things uh, about uh, the bill that we have put forward is, of course, there's the education funding component, but there's also a component that uh, we worked with Senator Bishop and some other people on, and that is to try to uh, track students post-graduation mm-hmm. to find out, you know, how people are doing because, uh, you know, high school is high school is high school. Mm-hmm. You know, some people do great. Other people do horrible, and it's a tough time for a lot of people. And they blossom once they get out of high school, and they go on to do amazing things. The data does not reflect that unless you go looking for it. Hopefully, Senator Tobin, our bill is going to go looking for it a little bit. That's the hope. You know, it's one thing that I have come to realize as I walk around this building of how many Alaskan high school graduates work here in the legislature And we seem to always want to focus on how we're not doing well or how things aren't really flushing out the way that we assume they should be. And that is always going to be the case if you look at one point in time analysis or test about student achievement. It is easy for me to go and say at the start of third grade, all these students are struggling. Well, are we looking at what happens after they're with a high-quality teacher in a small class that has these really great, innovative, intuitive ways of teaching young people? Are we looking at what happens to them in ninth grade when they have the first introduction to CAD and they realize a language that has been missing from their lexicon the whole time they've been in school? Do we check in with them at 11th grade when they've gone off and become a U.S. Senate page and they're now in this completely different education system and sphere and they are excelling and representing Alaska so well? Do we check in with them after their first year out of high school as they take their first CDL class? Do we check in with them as they're applying for their master's degree at UAF? We don't. We haven't been. 
And so we often look at these test scores and we have folks say, well, here's how our schools are failing or here's how our educators are failing us. But they're not looking at the educator who is sitting down with a student who's been struggling to read for the last three months and finally has a moment to say, hey, I think I figured out what's going on here. We just need to focus in on these phonics. That's where you're missing the mark. No one's doing that. That's what I hope that we can start shaping the conversation around and get away from these national test scores, which are great and useful tools, but they're not the only tool in the toolbox. You know, I, we ran short of time, right, today, so I didn't have a chance to talk about it, but kind of the, the culmination for me was of, of my story of coming to Alaska was, was whenever it was decision time about, was it a point in my career to decide, well, are you going to be a superintendent? Are you going to follow your dreams? Are you going to... You know, life is going quickly. Are you gonna are, are you gonna do that? So, when it came time to to decide where I wanted to go, of course, Alaska was choice one for me. And so, what a privilege it was to be to be interviewed and be a finalist. And I went to Haines and I I looked around and I saw the beauty of Alaska. I met the people, but the selling point for me was something that I had never seen. I didn't see in a book or a travel guide or anything, and that was the students. And that was what they were able to do, and and what I wanted for my own two daughters, because I'm a, I have, I have two daughters that were coming with me, and I thought this is what I want for them, so the academic piece, but also the ability to to do things. What I noticed is kids here, students here, still know how to do things. They go from calculus to welding. They know how to fillet. They process a moose while they're listening to their English in English class. Sometimes we get a moose and we, we process that and we eat it in our cafeteria and they go in and work with their English teacher as they're doing that. These are unusual kinds of things. These are not, these are not the norm, but they're the kinds of things, the kinds of reforms that, in my opinion, the lower 48 need to look at Alaska for. And I definitely think that there are some things that we need to look at too. But we need students who can perform all these things, all the things that you're talking about and tracking them over time, I think we'll be quite surprised in a good way of where our students go and what they do. Just a, a couple of things. One, um, I'm just going to make an observation. You both have smiles on your face. Mm-hmm. You both seem to have good attitudes, positive attitudes. That is remarkable given all of the conversations that we have had with people. Like, I mean, I, uh, some, I spoke to a superintendent who was sitting right where Roy was last mm-hmm. week. Senator Tobin was not, uh, not, not here. So I, I took the meeting and she was, she was in tears about like these decisions that she was going to have to make. Someone was sitting right where Senator Tobin was. And uh, I think an elementary school teacher that was just talking about how, they were having to uh, rely on long-term substitutes and they were basically losing the trust of their community with all of the choices that, that they were having to make. So how do you keep a positive attitude? How do you have smiles on your faces when we've got all of this, uh, all of these troubles out there? Being a superintendent's not for the faint of heart. Being a school administrator is not for the faint of heart. And I've done it for a long time. And, and, and I, but I feel a purpose within my heart and that is to serve students and work with them. And, and, and I just believe, I just have always had a belief that things will, will be okay, that things are going to work out. And I, what I do know is that we do have some hard decisions to make. And, and, and I lose sleep. So I've got a positive attitude, but I lose sleep at night. You know, we've gone through the pandemic. 
many nights of sleep I lost there. <laughs> Through some of these hard budget decisions or other decisions we make, I lose sleep. But I just feel so privileged to carry the flag of, of being an Alaska superintendent to, to have influence over these influential things. So even when they're hard, even when they're difficult, I don't know, I guess I've done this long enough to realize that I, I wouldn't rather have anybody else in my seat. And as soon as I, as soon as I do that, it, it might be time to, to think differently. But I'm, but I'm older, so I, and maybe that, maybe that helps. But I just have a different perspective, maybe. But, but, but the things that you're hearing are real. I mean, these tears, these are, these are optimistic colleagues that I have. We work together, but the decisions are hard. So the, the smile is here, but the pain and the worry doesn't necessarily doesn't mean it's not there it just means that it's that that um i don't know today was a good day i'm choosing to say that i'm very hopeful and hope is an important thing senator tobin today was a good day today was a great day i often use the skill set of compartmentalization i have to be able to compartmentalize I love sitting with educators. I love hearing them talk about their work with such passion and excitement. It's why it's fun to have Roy here. It was lovely to have Lon here earlier and to have Lisa Parody talking about uh, her superintendents and their passion for the schools. All of it is just really fun and exciting to to know that there are those in our communities who love this work and love doing this work. It is uh, absolutely empowering to know that that is the team that is leading the the efforts to educate our young minds in Alaska. But that is not without the recognition and acknowledgement that it is a hard road before us. Uh, but that's, that's nothing that we should use as a, a crutch or maybe look toward and say, well, we shouldn't forge ahead. And I'm going to use uh, a story or a, an analogy in a recent research paper I had to read for one of my academic classes, which talks about what happened to folks who were enslaved in the United States. It was a practice and then law to not educate slaves. There were anti-literacy laws that if you taught those who you had taken the freedom from and were forcing to do labor 24-7 to read or write, you would go to prison and jail. And when we had Emancipation Proclamation. We saw that those anti-literacy laws fell away, but of course Jim Crow and Jim Crow era reconsecrated the barriers that really prevented folks from getting access to education. And there was a movement, a civil rights movement, that fought for the right for kids to have equal access to great systems of public education. I am a descendant of slaves, and I am here fighting for every child in Alaska to have that access. There is excitement there. There's power there, and there's beauty there. That's why I love this job, and that's why I'm excited to be here. So with that, we're going to go to the question that uh, I have been asking all of our guests today, and uh, I preface this to Roy before we started. Mm -hmm. So if you could choose one person, dead or alive, Mm -hmm. they get a vote, you get to drop them into this building, and they get to sit next to Senator Tobin on the floor of the Senate okay. to help us out. Okay. Who would that person be? Well, I had to think about that for a second, but then the answer came to me immediately. So I'm an elementary teacher by background, so this will come as no surprise. Fred Rogers. So I don't know if you've seen his his plea um, on behalf of public television. 
there there was going to be a a vote back in the early 70s or maybe it was the late 60s about the future of that and the way that he laid out the case for the importance for children and the it unified the entire room there were people that were going to walk in that day and vote completely different but who left with a uh, voting in favor and it was because of his passion for children it was because of his way with people of his non-threatening, non-confrontational, but an open way um, that that he was able to change hearts and minds, and so um, that's who I that's who I'd have. Mister Rogers is a good pick. <laughs> Thanks. It's probably one of the best ones we've heard yet. <laughs> okay, good. So you've been listening to the Empty Office podcast, which is a production of the office of Senator Lukey Gale Tobin. You can subscribe to the podcast on Substack and the Apple Podcast app. And if you like what you hear, leave a positive review. That will help spread the word. My name is Mike Mason. Please be safe out there. Mr. Rogers is certainly one of the best things that's ever happened to public television, and his Peabody Award is testament to that fact. We in public television are proud of Fred Rogers, and I'm proud present Mr. Rogers to you now. All right, Rogers, you got the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Senator Pastore, this is a philosophical statement and would take about 10 minutes to read, so I'll not do that. Uh, One of the first things that a child learns in a healthy family is trust. And I trust what you have said that you will read this. It's very important to me. I care deeply about children. My first children... Will it make you happy if you read it? I'd just like to talk about it, if it's all right. My first children's program was on WQED 15 years ago, and its budget was $30. Now, with the help of the Sears Roebuck Foundation and National Educational Television, as well as all of the affiliated stations. Each station pays to show our program. It's a unique kind of funding in educational television. With this help, now our program has a budget of $6,000. It may sound like quite a difference, but $6,000 pays for less than two minutes of cartoons, two minutes of animated, what I sometimes say, bombardment. I'm very much concerned, as I know you are, about what's being delivered to our children in this country. And I've worked in the field of child development for six years now, trying to understand the inner needs of children. We deal with such things as as the inner drama of childhood. We don't have to bop somebody over the head to make him to to make drama on the screen. We deal with such things as getting a haircut or the feelings about brothers and sisters and the kind of anger that arises in simple family situations. 
and we speak to it constructively. How long a program is it? It's a half hour every day. Most channels schedule it in the, in the noontime as well as in the evening. Uh, WETA here has scheduled it in the late afternoon. Could we get a copy of this so that we can see it? Maybe not today, but I'd like to see the program. I'd like very much for you I'd to like see. I'd like to see the program itself, or any one of them, you see. We, we made a hundred programs for EEN, the Eastern Educational Network, and then when the money ran out, people in Boston and Pittsburgh and Chicago all came to the fore and said, we've got to have more of this neighborhood expression of care. And this is what, this is what I give. I give an expression of care every day to each child to help him realize that he is unique. I end the program by saying, you've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. And I feel that if we in public television can only make it clear that feelings are mentionable and manageable, we will have done a great service for mental health. Uh, I think that it's much more dramatic that two men could be working out their feelings of anger, much more dramatic than showing something of gunfire. I'm constantly concerned about what our children are seeing. And for 15 years, I have tried in this country and Canada to present what I feel is a meaningful expression of care. Do you I, narrate it? I'm the host, yes. And I do all the puppets, and I write all the music, and I write all the scripts. Well, I'm supposed to be a pretty tough guy, and this is the first time I've had goosebumps for the last two days. <laughs> Well, I'm grateful, not only for your goosebumps, but for your interest in, in our kind of communication. Could I tell you the words of one of the songs which I feel is very important? Yes. This has to do with that good feeling of control, which I feel that, that children need to know is there. And it starts out, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And that first line came straight from a child. I work with children do, doing puppets in, in very personal communication with small groups. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad you could bite. When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, stop, stop anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady, and a boy can be someday a man. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. 
Looks like you just earned the twenty million dollars. <laughs> <laughs>